You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. I am your host, as always, Danny Anderson. I teach English at Mount Aloysius College in uh, Crescent, Pennsylvania. And uh, today we're jumping into our third annual Band Books Week episode. And joining me, as always, for this is uh, is the great Jay Eldred. Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Jay, if you listened to the last episode on um, uh, uh, John Birch Society, uh, is in exile right now. He's uh, um, uh, his home is uh, victim to the hurricane, um, and so how are you doing in terms of that? I'm doing okay. I've been referring to this time as my Florentine exile <laughs> to you know have something in common with Dante. Always have to tie into him when I can. But uh, it looks like we'll be able to head back home in the next day or so. Yeah, so it was a good almost two weeks that you were out, right? Yep. Yeah, and so uh, and your home is okay. on the sixth or thereabouts. Yeah, maybe it was, the, but it, it's been two. It's been two Tuesdays. Yeah, crazy. And and your home is okay though. Our home is okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, and how's the school you work at? As far as I know, it had some superficial outside damage, but uh, no flooding either from the rivers or from the roof. So that's okay. a praise. Usually I find um, weather talk at the beginning of a podcast to be kind of insufferable. But in this case, I think it's uh, we'll make an exception in the last two weeks um, since it's a, a rather special weather event um, um, and a real tragedy down there. And I really don't mean to make light of it. But, um, yeah, it, it was a real tragedy. I'm very happy you're okay. Um um, so Jay and I are going to be talking uh, today in honor of Band Books Week. Uh, we're not going to be sort of uh, rehashing censorship or anything like that so much. Uh, we're going to be kind of celebrating, I think, a bastion uh, that stands against this movement to kind of ban knowledge and, and for the free exchange of ideas. And so we're going to be celebrating indie bookstores uh, today for this episode. Uh, it's a, a kind of a shooting from the hip sort of episode. It's not too planned out. So we're just going to have a conversation about this. One thing I do want uh, to encourage the listener to do um, and get this, start thinking about it right now is I would like you to go to the Facebook page and give a shout out, uh, a, a review, uh, you know, an appreciation to your favorite uh, in, in, indie bookstore, uh, wherever you live, a place that you visited um, and give us all sort of a menu of, of places to try and visit once in our life uh, to, to buy cool books and hang out with cool people. So uh, if you go to the Facebook page uh, for the Sectarian Review podcast, you'll find a link to this show and uh, please in there uh, find a, uh, a moment to review a, uh, a bookstore that you happen to like very much. So, um, Jay, let's go ahead and get started. Um, for me, this I guess this whole thing sort of started as a spinoff of the Blockbuster video episode that I did uh, with Seth Lancaster uh, a couple of months ago in that Facebook conversation. Um, 
that sprung out of that show, Jeffrey Carter, actually a great friend of the show. Jeffrey Carter is really good about sharing the show on his social media, which I really appreciate. Um, that kind of support is lovely. Uh, and so, but Jeffrey has some great, um, remarks there. And out of those remarks came the idea to talk about independent bookstores. And so, first of all, thank you to Jeffrey. Um, but I do think that this is a related topic. As we were talking in about Blockbuster Video, a video store as a kind of space for, oh, I guess community building um, outside the mainstream. Um, that's where they find a lot of value even today where they exist. And I think certainly indie bookstores um, operate in the same way, in a way that like a Barnes & Noble can't. Uh, do you want to talk about why you think indie bookstores are sort of important? Well, where where do we begin with that? I mean... They're taking, you know, as you just said, they provide a community. And how how do you put a value on community? I know that some of the independent bookstores I go to, they offer they offer almost the same services or the same programs as a library does. So they have reading groups for the kids and they've got book clubs going on and they have author events and everything, everything that you would, in my opinion, everything that you would want for that. Um, it's interesting that you brought up Barnes and Noble because, you know, they're probably the last chain brick and mortar store for books around and they're in trouble. If anyone who follows that industry uh, could probably tell you. But um, one thing I found out is in the last year or so is that as Barnes and Noble are going out of strip malls and things like that, and the, um, the, real estate developers need an anchor store, they're actually more likely to bring in an independent bookstore into that space because of the community they provide. And anyway, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But no, you're right. I think it's great. And, and actually, I want to talk about Barnes & Noble. I actually used to work at a Barnes & Noble in New York City when I lived there in the late 90s. Um, it's it, right next, it was not right next to Lincoln center. Um, and now it's not there anymore. It's become a, a department store, which is very weird for me to walk around that place now. Uh, now that they're selling, you know, ladies, you know, dresses where I used to be the history section. Right. And so, um, but it was interesting because I did get a sense of community out of working at the bookstore. There were regulars that came in every day. We did host book events. I got to actually uh, meet Arthur Miller uh, because he came in to uh, talk about uh, a, a, a version of uh, Death of a Salesman with Brian Dennehy. They both came actually uh, to uh, to kind of publicize that. And I got to kind of host that or not host that event, but I was there to sort of manage people for that event. And I got to see them talk and it was really kind of amazing. Um, and so it does, it, Barnes and Noble in that sense does provide much of what we're talking about. For me, the problem with it is there's kind of a corporate ownership <laughs> of, of those events and they're kind of programmed to some degree from afar. Now I know that our local, the guy who works for our bookstore did do a lot of um, the hands, the day-to-day -day scheduling and things like that, but he was still a sort of an employee of a distant corporate entity. Right. And so I feel like there's something kind of beautiful about, locality and and the way that an indie bookstore is kind of beholden not to big stockholders somewhere all distributed all over the world but to sort of their local community and and so i think the kinds right. of events that they can hold are kind of i don't know maybe more special in that way yeah they're they're more i would say they're more tailored to the community because they know the community rather than i don't know dictated from on high i don't know i i always in my opinion, the indie bookstore is like 
almost a democratic ideal. Oh, say more about that. That's a great idea. Well, for an indie bookstore to survive, it has to reflect the wants and needs of the people around it or they'll stop supporting it. I mean, who's going to go in and spend an extra five or ten dollars at the indie bookstore unless they believe in its mission? Absolutely. And that's another thing I want to get to a little bit. I mean, obviously, they don't have the purchasing power of a, a Barnes & Noble or a Books A Million or something like that, right? That right. I think is another chain that still exists. But that's, um, that's all that I got in my town. Yeah, and, and so, but what? Uh, you have to get something for that extra money, right? There, there's something they're providing you, and and I think it's more metaphysical. Then it becomes this sort of sense of ownership and community, and and, and that way, I think it almost resembles. I I I don't know that much about this uh, political stance. I'm very interested in it, but the distributist model of, uh, of economic development, I think that uh, an indie bookstore is almost like a paragon of that, of that philosophy. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about that philosophy either. I know that we have listeners who claim distributism. Um, I would love to do a show with one of you about it because I really, I feel like you all want, capitalism but you don't want what capitalism becomes <laughs> so i don't quite understand i would love to learn more about it um and so uh yeah if that's just you know planting the seed out there if anybody wants to uh, convince me about distributism but the ideals behind it i am uh, fully supportive of and and the, an indie bookstore in providing kind of local um solutions to sort of local community needs is uh, a really i think just one of the great things in in small town life Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, uh, the next thing I kind of want to get to, um, uh, as we talk about some of the importance is, um, the, uh, the idea of, I, I guess, talking in more specificity about what an indie bookstore sort of addresses. So one problem, another episode that we did about loneliness in, in society is people like finding their tribe, right? Uh, There's a kind of an issue with our society and and lots of studies are being published about loneliness becoming an increasing problem in our society with the advent of these efficiency technologies like cell phones and and, and social media. Um, People are becoming more and more alienated from one another. Do you want to talk for a little bit about ways in which a bookstore, a local bookstore um, might kind of uh, alleviate some of that? Well, I, the only the only ex- evidence I could give for that would be anecdotal. Um, this last summer, uh, John Faya, who we've had on the on the show before, he released a book, um, "Believe Me: The Evangelical Road to Donald Trump." My nearest independent bookstore put on an author event with him. I drove up there, got there early, and was talking to some of the other people that had come in. Some of them knew who he was. Some of them just saw the ad in the local paper. Some of them didn't even know what the book was about. They just kind of liked the title. And in talking with all of them, we realized that though we came from different parts of the state and had different political backgrounds, and religious backgrounds, there were still a few things that we could agree on. I actually had one woman that I was talking to a little bit more in depth, and she was talking about my education, things like that. And when she found out where I had gone to college, she expressed shock that I had come out of there somewhat, quote, normal. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of shocked at that myself. Can I say <laughs> it's not uh, if it's not too mean for me to say that? No, no, not only normal, you're like an exemplar of society. So, yeah, no, I think that that's a that's a great point. And so b- building bridges, right? Right. Yeah. And you actually got to, to meet Faya, right? 
Uh, I did. Yeah, and and got to spend a good fifteen minutes talking with him. So that was good. I'd I'd hoped he was supposed to have another event here in Greenville, but it got canceled because of weather. Mm. So I missed my opportunity to see him again. Oh well. <laughs> but yeah, and so that's a great example. Not only do you get to kind of, it, it's a space where you have kind of close contact with the with the intellectuals that you might admire, right? Right. Um, but also other people who are living near you that you don't even know you have this in common with, right? Until you show up at the same event, right? And then you realize <laughs> you're not alone in the world, right? You, there are other people who are thinking the thoughts that I think. Right. And, and they value the things that I value, right? And so, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had experiences like that as well. Um, and so it, that's a great example, I think, of what an independent bookstore can really do. Now, I know that, like, I don't want to, again, diminish, I don't want to sort of, like, crap on Barnes & Noble because um, Barnes & Noble, like, on, on local levels, do this kind of work as well. They'll have, where I live, they'll have, like, local authors who, who have some book out about local history or mm -hmm. a children's book or something that they've written. Um, and that's a wonderful thing that they've done because for the same reason, um, you get to, you know, meet people who are in your area who are actually producing work that you might not even have been aware of. And so I think that Barnes & Noble will do the same thing, but there's something about, like, a, a, a the resources and the kind of commitment uh, of a local bookstore that uh, I don't, I just feel like there's something more special about the community that it creates. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but I get the same feeling from them. Yeah, um, because, so, one thing, so, Barnes & Noble is a mass product, right? This is for <laughs> everybody. Um Often independent bookstores have kind of niches um, in, in many cases, and they specialize mm -hmm. in certain things, right? Um, even to the point where they're just sort of like a niche um, for their community, right? They, they represent the needs of their community. But even in some bigger cities, like City Lights Bookstore has a particular sort of niche that, uh, of the kinds of books that it tends to stock, right? And so um, right. Um, there, that nicheness, I think... You have this kind of curated experience in a way that Barnes & Noble doesn't want. Barnes & Noble wants as many people in there as possible, right? Um, right. And that, that mass that comes into Barnes & Noble is not going to be that different than the mass of your everyday life. Um, whereas the people who are choosing to go into an independent bookstore um, um, have the ability to uh, – or have then the opportunity, excuse me, to, uh, to meet people who have like kind of smaller interests where there are closer – to their real core values then, right? Because they're, they're more niche interests, right? So the sort of a paradox between, you know, hipsterism has its benefits. Right. Um, so um, idea of community out there, loneliness is a problem. Uh, bookstores are a place we can address some of these things. And in a little bit, I want to sort of get to the, um, uh, the ideas of, or, well, some specific examples of bookstores that, that we, you know, sort of love and, and, and we can talk about experiences that we've had there. But um, I want to, another kind of issue um, that they uh, resolve on some level is the speed and efficiency of that we put, we value everything in society based only kind of on its like ability to be quick and efficient, right? And, and right. cheap, fast, cheap, and out of control. Um, Errol Morris has a great documentary called Fast, Cheap, and <laughs> Out of Control. And that's kind of what uh, th this uh, uh, the, the kind of mass market bookstore is, is a part of. How does a, a independent bookstore 
like slow and impede that kind of process? How does it sort of stand as a counter model? Well, in some ways, and again, it's, I can only speak from anecdotal evidence. Um, when I go into my local chain bookstore, it's almost like they're pushing the product on me. And it's like, I'm, it's a bookstore. I'm there to buy books. There's not really a whole lot more that you can do. And, you know, they're always like, well, is there anything I can help you find? And it's like, no, I just really want to look through all of your philosophy and theology <laughs> and religion books because I just want to look and see what's out there. But, you know, they they have this idea that if you've come in their doors, there must be a specific title you're looking for. They want you to get in, find your thing, stand in line, browse their little, you know, impulse item things and then get out. Whereas with an independent bookstore, I found where it's more like, you know, it's almost like a second home where it's like, oh, you're here. You know, spend two or three hours just looking at random gardening books. We don't care because you're in our door. <laughs> and the longer that you spend here, the more likely that you'll just strike up a conversation with us. We might be able to recommend some things that we like and who knows what you'll end up leaving with. It's, it's almost like... Um, and, and it's not a perfect example, but it's like the music industry in a way. Um, in my opinion, it'd be my almost my experience between Apple Music and something like Spotify or Pandora. Oh, interesting. Where Apple, where, where Apple, it's like, oh, well, you know what you want. And so this is what we're going to try to sell you. And then, by the way, here's what other people wanted. Whereas with Pandora or Spotify, they'll mix things in. It's like, oh, you listen to this. Well, here's an excerpt from some other artist or author you might like. And again, that's not a perfect example, and probably the whole music industry isn't where we want to go with this. But that's just my idea. <laughs> no, it's true though, and and I, honestly, I think that there's something there's something to that. When you have a one thing I've learned about myself is that you know I I'm not unique. <laughs> you know what I'm saying is that um, I happen to have discovered music, for example, in my life that none of my friends introduced me to. I just sort of stumbled. I that's just mostly the experience of my life is the stuff I've truly love I've discovered on my own. Um, and so when I, you know, Elvis Costello, for example, like nobody I knew ever, ever heard of him. Right. And so, uh, I discovered that and I found myself as I kind of grew into that community or whatever, I would go to a concert or I would go to a book or a music shop and I'd see other people buying that. There were other things we also had in common. There's just something, uh, a kind of person who is attracted to Elvis Costello, um, his song, his music at least, is uh, also um, attracted to other kinds of art that other people like share as well. And you learn then from the experience of those other people, like, well, if you like this, then you should really check out, you know, Nick Lowe, right? Or, or whatever, right? And so, um, yeah. And then, so I think it, those kind of, um, I, I guess, communities build in that way too. We There's a general sense in which we have, lots of things in common, but there's an entry point into this, the front doors of this bookstore that that's where we kind of meet and then share the other things that we have in common. Um, and so the other thing about, um, bookstores though, independent bookstores is competition, right? So because we talked a little bit before about their inability to kind of compete on, you know, prices, right. With a Sam's club or something like that. Right. I can go other places and find books, that are cheaper, right? I can go to Amazon and order it and not have to, not have to leave my house to do it, right? Um, right. What am I getting for that extra money? I don't know. I know for me, it's almost something intangible. Like I feel refreshed just being there. Um, but 
depending on your independent bookstore, you're also getting a a more curated collection in some ways. Whereas with in my experience with Amazon, sometimes I'll scroll down and I'll see, you know, what other people who bought the book also wanted. And they have nothing to do with what I'm looking for. Whereas with a, an actual real life human being, they're more likely to be able to guide me in a good direction for further reading or something like that, or even just talk about their own experience with the author or with the genre, something that you can't really get from a computer algorithm. Um, you're, and then you've got, you know, the now ubiquitous, you know, most of them offer free coffee and things like that as well. You know, when Amazon figures out a way to dispense coffee from my computer, then maybe <laughs> that'll be something else we need to discuss. But right now, you know, there's, there's a lot of intangible benefits that I see coming from the independent bookstore. Yeah, Amazon will send a drone with like a, a coffee cup uh, flying through your window to li- to, to deliver coffee. Uh, that's probably like two years down the road now at this point. But um, so yeah, there's al- actually I just saw and I and I didn't click on it because I thought it might have been clickbait, but I saw something where someone's like patented a coffee delivery drone. <laughs> it just crossed my feed in the last two days. Do you see why I don't have any faith in capitalism? <laughs> this is this is what we're going to all of our creative energy goes into inventing stupid things when uh because uh, yeah that, this is my problem. With, with, or and not only are, or not only are they stupid but they just to stay home. Yes. Yeah, they're they're not only stupid, they're detrimental to your 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 physical and mental well-being, right? And so, yeah, get off your butt, walk the 10,000 steps to the bookstore and talk to another person, right? This is a much better way to live. Um yeah, and so also so in that kind of space where you're getting the kind of recommendations from like-minded people, those I, I've kind of developed friendly acquaintances with people who work at these bookstores. It's usually either the owner or, you know, children of the owner or a local person who may be a college student or something, depending on the town, but who has this kind of like real investment in, in what they're Mm -hmm. doing in a way that frankly, I probably didn't have when I was at Barnes and Noble. Right. I know personally, I've developed a, a relationship with our local independent bookstores, online sales person, because believe it or not, the closest independent bookstore that I know of to me that truly an independent bookstore, not just a used bookstore, is two hours away. Mm. So when I go, I've got to make a commitment to drive the two hours that I take to get there and drive the two hours back plus whatever I'm going to do there. But they have online purchasing and I can order books from them and they'll ship it to me. And then, you know, depending on the size of the order, I might get flat rate shipping or free shipping, things like that. So I know the online salesperson quite well. I know almost no one actually in the store. That's really interesting. And I guess that that's a an interesting transition to an, something else I wanted to talk about. Um, it's weird because when Barnes & Noble, well, first it was Borders, I guess, and Barnes & Noble, mm-hmm. like simultaneously coming in and kind of corporatizing the sale of books in communities, it was wiping out. Um, small bookstores, right? There was nowhere for them to go, no way for them to compete unless it was um, in, a, in a place like San Francisco or New York, right? Um, right? And then there were, you know, other, if you found a niche, like used books has always been, I think, a staple of, of uh, independent bookstores as well, right? And so that's where they can compete on prices is because you can buy something used, right? Um, and so um, those kind of places might have like survived. Um, and it's, I think, ironic and kind of, really interesting so as much as i want to complain about amazon amazon is what's wiping out 
the Barnes and Nobles of the world now and kind of reopening spaces for independent, like weirdly reopening spaces for independent bookstores who then also can right. use Amazon to sell used books across the globe. Well, dep- at least for at least American bookstores, I don't know how much keep up with independent bookstores and other places. I know in England, they're going through a minor, I don't know if you'd be an existential crisis or not, but their version of um, Barnes and Noble Waterstones, they just bought out Foley's, which was a large, or not necessarily a chain independent store, but it was a well-known independent bookstore over in England. And then you got the controversy in France, where they get their, um, one of their big national prizes for literature, they long listed a self-published book that's only available on Amazon, and the independent bookstores don't want to buy it because they don't want to, um, they don't want to under-promote Amazon. That's fascinating. I know that we have a listener. I don't know if you'll be listening to this episode, um, Chris Ebenezer, who's who's in England, and um, and so I mean, I'd love. To, he's always giving me English perspectives on on some of the shows, and so I'm sure uh, if he listens to this one, uh, maybe I'll tag him in it actually uh, to make sure he does. Um, uh, if he listens to this one, I would love to hear some like more like local context about that. That's a fascinating um, part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I don't. I just find it kind of juicily ironic that Amazon is weirdly, for all its evil, um, <laughs> is also in many ways a savior for uh, independent bookstores in America, at least, right? And so um, it, it's a it's a fascinating kind of weird turn of uh, historical events, but uh, it really did kind of open up spaces, and now you have the ability in very small towns who probably couldn't support a bookstore just on their population are able to kind of operate because. Amazon has extended their reach, um, basically, right? With their little penny books for with three ninety nine shipping, right? And so, um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. Um, so um, another kind of, uh, I guess we've already kind of talked about the challenges. Let's just kind of move in. This doesn't have to be a long episode. Let's kind of move in and start talking about some specific bookstores in our lives, and kind of talk about. The, their features and why they're kind of special to us. Let me, um, I have three basically that I'll talk about. Um, I did visit at one point City Lights with the time I was in San Francisco. I did visit City Lights because of its kind of history with, um, you know, the beat poets and all that kind of thing and, and, and political activism. And, uh, and it was, it was very cool. Um, I don't have, like a personal experience with that place though, right? Uh, I have a personal experience with some other ones. And the first one um, in Little Barberton, Ohio, which is just outside of Akron, where I, I used to live in this little town um, when we first got married. And um, there's a, a, a little bookstore there called Snowball Books. If you're ever <laughs> around Akron, go check out Snowball Books. It's just a, a little used bookstore um, who stocks a lot of like, classic versions or, or paperback versions of classics. Um, lots, they have a, a really big kind of um, genre section, um, which I think a local bookstore needs because that's what most people read. Right. Um, but they also have um, a really great um, selection of history books that are all kind of out of print. And so um, you can get a little, 
you it, it opens up something that's utter, uh, unavailable to you on Amazon, right? Because they have still on their stock their shelves from ten years ago books that are no longer in print. Um, you can find you can stumble across some real gems in that way, um, and so that's really awesome. Snowball Books is awesome. The ladies that run it are awesome. They also let their cats run around the bookstore, right? And yeah. and I love that aspect of an independent bookstore is when the big chubby cat. <laughs> comes up to my feet and I get to pet it. And uh, I, I don't know what it is about having a cat in a bookstore, but Snowball Books has them. And uh, I, I know you're a cat person. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Very much that. Well, I, I don't have it as a t-shirt, but I have seen that, seen it out there. It says bookstores, cats, life is perfect. <laughs> that pretty much would sum up a good portion of my philosophy of life. Um, Sadly, our cat passed away a few weeks ago, so he's no longer no longer with us. But that's a whole other story. And in fact, we've talked about it, that he his passing probably spared us a lot of heartache with the hurricane because not having to take care of him meant we could evacuate anyway. um, The whole the whole idea of bookstores and cats, you know, I can't remember the name of the bookstore, but there was a used bookstore in the town where I grew up that had like two or three huge orange cats around. And it's just that idea of going and be able to browse the books as this little thing purrs and rubs at your feet that just kind of makes the whole experience worthwhile. Yeah, and, and maybe because it's so weird, because you'd never see it at Barnes & Noble, that's the sole reason. But it's also, I think, you have a living creature in there that, um, I, I don't know, for me it just kind of flies in the face of, of like mass consumer capitalism. I suppose if you're allergic to cats, you would hate this bookstore, right? But, um, mm-hmm. but if you're... Uh, uh, if you're not, I think it just makes it just a quaint and charming thing, right? Um, and there's a utility right. there. I mean, the cats are there to keep the mice out of the books, right? For one thing. <laughs> um, but, but also, I think it just adds to the fact that this is as much entering into someone's life as it is entering into their place of business, right? Um, and so that's a kind of one thing that an independent bookstore does is blur that uh, it sort of diminishes the economic portions of our life um, and increases the more kind of human portions of our life. Right. And, and so I, that's right. what I, I love a bookstore with a cat in it and snowball books and Barberton, Ohio has that. So. Right. What about you? Give me one. Well, there's sadly, there's very few independent bookstores in my life. Um, I, grew up in rural Pennsylvania, no real independent bookstores there, a few used bookstores, but they were mainly histories and not very well written histories at that. So I'm not quite sure how they stayed in business as long as they did. Um, and then now where I, where I live now, we had a few good used bookstores, but they shut down several years ago when Amazon was at its, at its peak selling, selling their books. So right now, to the best of my knowledge, my closest independent bookstore is Quail Ridge Books in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they've got a real, not only do they have a nice store, but it's one, like we were talking earlier, it's almost a niche store. Mm-hmm. You'll find, you won't find everything there, but you'll find a little bit of everything there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, when I drive the two hours up there and most of the time I go up because I've got an author event going on and I'll plan on getting there about two hours earlier just to give me time to walk through and just see what they've got, what they've brought in, that kind of thing. Because Raleigh is an interesting situation. It's in the triangle of North Carolina. 
So you've got um, Raleigh, Duke, or sorry, not Raleigh. You've got Duke and Chat and um, UNC and NC State all right in that area. So you've got a college student kind of vibe to the town. You've got immigrants coming in. You've got a real nice mix so that everything that they have kind of caters to a niche within that mix, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you, quite, you, you never quite know what you're going to find or who they're going to be promoting when you go in. And they have a really good online presence not just in promoting books that they're trying to sell, but they let their staff run some of their social media accounts for a week. So they share their experiences work, they share their favorite books, and it's just a unique experience to go get yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of like locality again that, that we're talking about, right. That right. Um, you've get that sort of um, trusted uh, recommender <laughs> aspect uh, uh, in your life. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there's something definitely there. And speaking of North Carolina, I actually um, can't believe I forgot about this and I can't remember the name of the bookstore, but I was at a conference once with uh, Michael Farmer uh, from the Christian Humanist podcast. And, and we ended up having, you know, a day in Asheville, which is a really a cool little town it's uh Asheville is kind of great it's like it's like Athens without the uh the the rich white college students everywhere right and so um and so it's <laughs> to me great uh, yeah Asheville's really great and we went into some bookstore that was just tremendous and and I'm just kind of googling and I I see so many names come up for Nashville that I can't I can't remember the name of the one we went to but it was um um uh, architecturally really interesting too. So not only do they have a great selection of books that are kind of um, beyond, you know, genre fiction or, um, you know, you know, whatever mysteries and romance novels. Um, they were also, um, it's laid out in a really interesting way with old wood floors. And this is like a, a another kind of thing that I love about independent bookstores is the kind of way in which they inhabit abandoned retail spaces from days past often, right? Snowball does the same thing. It's in an old, uh, uh, an old store in um, downtown Barberton. And, uh, and the idea, well, what I remember in this store in Asheville was that it had these really neat levels and, and just side rooms and uh, creaky mm -hmm. floors. And, and there's something I think really cool about that. A Barnes and Noble is going to build a new, a new building, right? Uh, in a strip mall somewhere. Um, but these old stores, they find ways to fill abandoned places. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor <laughs> beyond kind of their physical, beyond the metaphysical benefit, the, the empty spaces within, within us. Uh, they're actually filling empty geographic spaces in towns. And I think that that's really, um, kind of beautiful. Yeah, I, I now that you mention it, uh, my wife and I, we were in Asheville, it's probably two years ago now, and we went into one of the same kind of bookstores. This one was, I know it was in downtown Ash proper, and I want to say it was near, I don't know what they would have called it, but it was almost like, oh, they call it an arcade, which was like an early form of strip mall where instead of they're all facing, not all facing words mm -hmm. and it was in in that arcade and it was kind of the same idea different levels nice creaky floors one was the same bookstore it anyway very well might have been yeah um and then speaking of speaking of Asheville, i know it's not technically an independent bookstore but you know if jordan poss were on the episode he would want to mention mr k's used books they've got one up in Asheville, and they have one in greenville south carolina he's he told me if you get the answer here and need to go so my wife and I went yesterday, and they've got a huge selection of used books. Like you said, it's 
stuff out of print, stuff you can't find anymore. She's not a huge book person per se, but we spent a good two hours in there and didn't realize that we've spent that long. So yes, shout out to Mr. K's used books. Yeah, we have a chain up here. I guess I should shout out to them too because I really do appreciate Half Price Books. Um, it's a it's a big chain um, in Ohio, and um, and we have one in Monroeville here in, in Pennsylvania as well. And it, I know it's a chain; it's a small like regional chain, but it the service that it provides in you know providing books and events uh, for for the community is is admirable. And I, I do love myself a Half Price Books trip. So. Yeah. Um, so I want to go to uh, two more bookstores that I want to talk about. Um, so I don't know if you have any more in your in your hopper, uh, but I have two more. I don't. So I'm, of course, from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, as everyone knows. And in near where I went to grad school at uh, Case Western Reserve, there is a um, um, a really cool uh, area of town called Coventry. It's Coventry Avenue or Boulevard, what I think it's Boulevard. And um, there's a, a really cool um, bookstore there called Max Backs um, Paperbacks, and and it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a really cool uh, it's a nice area with like neat restaurants and that kind of thing. And um, I guess they're not called Max Backs Paperbacks anymore, just Max Backs. Uh, and uh, and so they. Um, uh, I love that bookstore for a the architectural reason uh, that we just talked about. It's like walking into an old building, um, and also it's connected to a really cool uh, like sandwich shop, um, and um, so you can sort of walk through one of the doors of the bookstore and into a really cool restaurant um, that and, and you know have lunch, go back and browse some more books, right? Um, Great. And so Max Bax is great as well, and also they host. They do a great job of kind of drawing on the creative talent in, in Cleveland. And so, you know, I went to see a friend of mine who's a musician who also self-published um, a book of poetry, um, Scott Franklin, good friend of mine. And um, um, Jay Scott, he, he um, uh, did a poetry reading at uh, at Max Bax, and it was just really cool. They opened up the basement, and we all sit there and listen and read poems. There's this really co- cool communal exchange of things. Um, that's something to me that, that adding the creative element to uh, to the bookstore experience is in something that I don't often see at Barnes and Noble, right? And so that that's something that um, I'm not going there to see celebrity um, per se. I'm going there to, to kind of hear art, and, and I think that that's another thing that um, a bookstore can can sort of um, a local an independent bookstore in trying to get people in the doors, uh, but also trying to serve the, the public. I think that's a, a niche that they fill really beautifully. Um, and oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything, uh, any experiences like that? Uh, not particularly, no. Okay. Sorry. Um, it's okay. It's always worth asking for the dear listener. Sometimes I, sometimes I swing and miss, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and finally, the last um, store that I want to talk about is uh, the Strand Bookstore in New York City. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't, but it's on my list. Yeah, it's um, I always when I lived in New York, I went to the Strand all the time. It's changed quite a bit. It's become much more kind of polished than it was back then. There would still be, uh, you know, stacks of books on the floor, and and uh, it was always kind of a messy experience. So you felt like you're kind of weeding through, um, like just my. I mean, their slogan is "18 miles of books," right? And uh, and it really does feel that way. And but the strands for me was always really special. It's in uh, Greenwich Village, and it's right near NYU. And so it has this kind of. It's going to draw that kind of intellectual crowd uh, and and artistic crowd. Um, and so it it 
is there as kind of a resource for people who are trying to kind of expand their their brains, right? And so great philosophy sections, a really great um, film section um, about film books, um, because you know in New York City everybody wants to be an actor or a director, right? And so um, and it's the Strand to me was always just a really special place because it was just so massive, and it just you walk into this place. And um, again, it's an old building and it just opens up this giant world of intellectual history to me. And I could spend just hours and hours and hours there. And, uh, and I utterly love the strand. I was lucky enough a couple of months ago, uh, my family and I went back to New York to visit and, um, I took my daughter in there and I was hoping, I knew that she's a book person too, my 14 year old daughter. And so she would, uh, I knew she would really love it. And she went in there and I had to take her back like three times that weekend. She, Excellent. <laughs> she really just like could not get enough of the strand. And, uh, and honestly, I, I was, uh, you know, obviously tickled pink, um, by passing kind of that on to her. So there's a sense of like the passing on of tradition, um, that you get with a bookstore like that, that I, I just, uh, I, I can't recommend the strand enough if you're ever, if you're ever in New York city, like I said, now it's much more kind of polished and it doesn't like aesthetically feel all that different than a Barnes and Noble. It's much more kind of packed than any Barnes and Noble is. Um, you will be bumping against people all the time. Um, but, uh, but it's also, I don't know. It's just like, uh, the great treasure hunt. You just, there's so much to see, you know, you'll never find everything, but um, you could spend weeks in there and, and not find everything. But yeah, I do love the strand. And so to me, that's a um, uh, kind of a very special bookstore uh, for, you know, kind of personal reasons as well. Uh, and can I tell you a story? I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with this one, but uh, my daughter, I told her she could get any book she wanted um, in the strand. I wasn't going to like limit her. And so there was these, this collection, you know, the introducing big philosophical, big philosophical idea. Uh, yeah. those little volumes they had a whole rack of those. And, um, and so she's like leafing through those. And, um, and I swear I did not give her any guidance or anything like that. She pulls out introducing socialism and buys it. And so, <laughs> oh my. And so my wife kind of gave me a scornful look, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I said, I swear, honey, I didn't say anything. This is the one she picked out. So, um, yeah, so this was uh, that was a kind of a funny moment in our family. So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, the strand is really special to me. So, um, any other, uh, bookstores that you want to talk about or give a shout out to? Mm, running through and wait, I can remember briefly being in some good used bookstores, but unfortunately I can't remember, I can't remember where they were, let alone their names. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But, yeah. Check out your local, your local towns, used bookstores yep. or independent booksellers. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and by all means, please do go to the Facebook page, find the link to the show, the, the post for the show. And in the comments, give us a lead. Um, we have listeners all over the place and I, I travel. And so I would love to visit bookstores. Um, maybe I'll, I'll go visit your local bookstore, take a selfie there and uh, tag you in a future post if I'm ever in your town. Right. So, um, absolutely. Um, I give your, give your local bookstore some love. And last thing I want to say, um, in, uh, honor in the spirit of what this episode is for banned books week, independent bookstores have, played a really powerful role in pushing against censorship, right? Um, right. Historically, do you, do you have any examples of that? Or do you want to talk about that um, process? No, because the only thing that comes to mind would be the the story of um, how James Joyce's Ulysses made it to the U.S. 
but I think that was more the publisher than the than the bookstore. But Shakespeare and Company, right in Paris, that was the the bookstore that did kind of really promote Joyce, right? That's true. And, and so, in it, so to the publishers, you know, obviously plays a role in it. But there was a bookstore in that. Uh, in that milieu, in that story that is very important. Um, and Shakespeare and Company, I think, does it become a chain? There used to be one right near the Strand, actually. I don't know if it's still there or not. Um, so I don't know if that's just like an homage to the to the original Shakespeare and Company. I really don't know that much about it, uh, about its history, other than its association with James Joyce. When What is it? So philosophically, then, let me ask this. What is it about an uh, independent bookstore that can push against book banning hysteria in a way that uh, like a Barnes and Noble might not be able to stand against. I think some of that has to do with an idea of trust. If you build up a relationship with your booksellers, you're more likely to trust their recommendations. I mean, I'd hate to bring in the phrase fake news into the conversation, but that's almost what they're pushing back against. You know, people talk about what news sources they can trust. I know even with the with the hurricane, I was following one of our local pages, keeping everyone informed. And someone asked what the best news source to follow for hurricane information was, and it just got political really fast. Mm. But but an independent bookstore can push against that. I mean, they're people that you know, they're people that you see in town. They're not just some face on a screen. So when they recommend a book to you or talk to you about an issue, I think you'd be more likely to listen to what they have to say to entertain their counter argument, that kind of thing. And then because they're not necessarily under pressure from corporate or from a bigger, a bigger organization, they have the, the ability to take the risk in publishing or, or not publishing, but in um, promoting something that might be controversial. Yeah, absolutely. Cause they're not really dependent on a mass audience and likely no. their, their real, their core customers are not going to be sympathetic to a, a boycott on <laughs> because you know they wouldn't be core customers of the bookstore um, if they were sympathetic to the uh, to the inhibited the prohibition on ideas right right and, and so they are in some ways more immune to um, these kind of protest movements um, these moralizing protest movements than a place like Barnes and Noble um, can be which does have to appeal to the masses right um, because they don't appeal to the masses I feel like they can withstand um, some of that pressure and in fact probably um, garner more intense loyalty uh, in the face of that pressure uh, from yep. from their audience or from their their customers and so yeah I think that in some kind of weird way, their very smallness insulates them uh, and makes them kind of a refuge then for um, um, books that are kind of dangerous uh, to any kind of particular morality. And so, yeah, I think that there's something um, entirely appropriate about talking about independent bookstores on Banned Books Week. So um, any uh, final thoughts there, Jay? Well, I was just thinking that um the uh slogan for this year's uh banned books week i had to look it up before the before the show but the slogan for this year is uh words have power and i was just thinking that if words have power then independent bookstores are the batteries that store the power oh nice that's uh, <laughs> that's a really you're totally right though right this is the the source of the of the power that you can tap into um and yeah um we you know on the show i 
tend, I have, you know, particular political views and, and religious views, but I try to make the show pretty ecumenical uh, in all ways. And so I, I try not to be afraid of ideas that I may disagree with. And so um, there's something about the spirit of an independent bookstore and Banned Books Week, I, I hope, is a, an ongoing theme that we do uh, however many years this, this show is going to last. So, um, Jay, I appreciate you again uh, calling in remotely uh, from uh, – uh, your your uh, exile your florentine exile <laughs> and so yep. um uh, i wish you well as you kind of Thank settle you. back into uh your uh your life in uh, new Bern. and and i hope that the rebuilding goes well um check in every now and then and uh, let us know how things are going but um i appreciate you and i appreciate your um your passion for books and and learning and you've been a great friend of the show so um thanks for being here today um, and thank you for having me. And uh, those of you who are listening, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, and I hope that uh, this inspires you to go out and try out your new or your local bookstore or try out a bookstore that you haven't tried out yet uh, and try and tap in some of those resources. It's a great place for you to kind of grow yourself intellectually and uh, and in, uh, in a community. And I think that's something that our society is uh, quickly losing. And so... Um, by all means, go to the Facebook page, leave us some recommendations, and uh, let's kind of uh, give as much uh, love and business as we can to these uh, really important parts of our economy. Oh, no. Oh, no.